So this morning, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to be looking at dealing with anxiety today, continuing our Storms of Life series. In a recent issue of the AARP uh, bulletin, something that Tammy's getting now, not saying how old she is or anything, but um, readers were asked to respond to the question, what is your strategy for coping with stress? When stressful things come in your life, what do, you, what do you do to deal with stress? And the answers were interesting. They range from eating a chocolate chip cookie. I, I like that strategy. I'd prefer oatmeal raisin, but, you know, eating a cookie. It's a good way to deal with stress. Some people said, well, they have a stiff drink. Some people said they might reach for their smokes or, or reach for a medication their doctor have given them. But Don Betts of Oakdale, Minnesota, offered his own unique solution. He said every January 1st, he gives his wife $1. And it's her job for the entire year to worry about everything. And he said, he, in fact, if you want her to worry for you, just send her a dollar at the beginning of the year and she will do all your worrying for you. It's Father's Day. I get to pick on the ladies a little, don't I? Anxiety is the cause of worry. And worrying about things can cause all kinds of serious physical problems and psychological problems and spiritual problems. Ulcers, heart attacks, high blood pressure, all those things are, are directly related to worrying. I had my physical this week. I even have the, the scar from the blood draw here. She really stabbed me. And... My doctor, Dr. Anderson, I also work with him a little bit at the hospital. He knows enough of everything that's going on in my life to really bear down on me with a lot of questions about how much stress I'm under and how much anxiety I may be feeling. And um, Both my blood pressure and my cholesterol are in the slightly elevated range, so I'm doing a lot better with those. And Although he's pleased to see those going in the right direction, he counseled me to make sure that I keep my stress under control. And because even at a decent level or at those slightly elevated levels, it can cause problems down the road. Another interesting fact about stress and anxiety is that George Barna did a survey several years ago on America's favorite sins. So what do you think the top sin in America is? If we were to ask now, somebody might point out uh, pornography or adultery or overeating or greed. But he said, actually, the number one sin in America is worrying and being anxious about things. And I thought that was really interesting and that 60% of Americans say they're tempted to worry because of the anxiety that they feel. And anxiety and its byproduct of worry are the tools of fear that we talked about last Sunday. And today we're going to tackle both the tools and the byproducts of fear in confronting the roots of this spiritual killer in our lives. Because God has a better way that he wants us to live. He doesn't want us to have to live with these things, and so he shows us a better way in his word. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls ar around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Verse 10, And the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Father God, we just come to you to talk about worrying today and talk about anxiety and talk about these byproducts of fear in our life. We talked about last week that fear is false evidence appearing real. And we ask, Lord, that you would take our eyes off of everything in this world that would make us afraid and help fasten our eyes upon the truth that is within your word and the truth that is within your character that we can trust in and that we can have peace in the midst of any storm life throws at us. Father, we just give this time to you and we ask for your truth to penetrate into our lives deeply. In your name, amen. So what is anxiety anyway? It's probably useful to define it. Anxiety is distress about future uncertainties. It's worrying about the future. It's characterized by a mental agitation or uneasiness. It primarily has to do with what may happen in the future, whether near or distant, whether real or imagined. So what causes anxiety? What causes anxiety to well up within us? Anxiety is caused by real or imagined threats to our well-being. It causes us to feel vulnerable. It causes us to feel inadequately protected against these threats. Some of these threats may be, and they're, they're very individual for different kinds of people. Some of these threats may be the fear of social rejection. Or maybe it's a fear of physical in, injury or disease. Maybe it's you're worried about finances and poverty, or you're really afraid of death, or any other of a wide range of threats. And anxiety has three main elements. The first element is insecurity. Insecurity is the belief that something bad is going to happen. It has everything to do with not feeling secure in your person, your property, your health, your family. Something is going, you feel like something is going to happen around something that you hold in great value. And that brings us to the second element of anxiety, which is helplessness. You believe that there is nothing you can do about the situation. Nothing you can do to help, nothing you can do or anyone to call upon. There is something within this situation that you feel completely helpless about. And the three, third part is isolation. Is that you believe that there is no one to can, that can help you or that you can go to to ask for help in this situation. And all three of these things have one thing in common. And we saw that one thing in common in verse 8 of the scripture that we read, is that the devil is a roaring lion looking for who he may devour. And anxiety and its consequence of worrying is listening to the lion's roar instead of trusting in your father. So let's talk a little bit about the devil's roar. If you were here last week, 
You probably had the heck scared out of you momentarily when I used my sergeant's voice to roar out, fear not. And I did that to illustrate the three reactions to fear. To freeze, to flee, or to fight. The vast majority of people will freeze or flee when confronted with an unexpected negative experience like the crazy preacher standing up here shouting at them suddenly. And the devil uses the same tactics with his roars of fear, his roars of doubt, and his roars of unbelief. His goal is to get you to freeze or to flee. And that's why the Bible and why Peter used this example for us, because this was actually a common occurrence to people living in the Middle East. I mean, we don't think about lions in the Middle East, but back in the biblical times, there were a lot of lions in that area of the world. And that's why he uses it to describe Satan's tactics, and that being a lion roaring. And lions roar not just to have fun. They don't roar just because they feel like it. They roar to intimidate. A lion's roar is meant to intimidate you. They want you to freeze in place. Believe it or not, especially the male lions, and I'm picking on guys on Father's Day, but especially the male lions are kind of lazy, to be honest with you. If you look at, at, at the zoology behind well, the way lions do things, it's usually the female that does most of the stuff. And once in a while, the lion will just let out a roar. And that roar is meant to intimidate and to make people freeze because they really don't want to have to run that hard or far to catch their game. So they figure if they roar, that gazelle will freeze and they'll be able to tackle it that much quicker. And just like a lion in the wild will do that to bag a gazelle, Satan does that to freeze us in place and take our eyes off of God and onto the problem that is presenting itself in front of us. He wants to fill you with insecurity. He wants you to ask, is God there for me? He wants you to feel helpless. He wants you to feel that God isn't going to come through. And finally, he wants you doubting God so much that you feel alone and without hope. For the Christian, anxiety and worry become sin because you doubt God's power and you doubt God's goodness in your life. Anxiety handicaps us and worrying keeps us there. I heard it said that worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you're not going to go anywhere with it. That's a problem of living in stress, which produces the anxiety and the worry. But now let's look at God's solution. Last week I said that God wants us to unlearn the, free, the freezing and the fleeing as a response to the devil's attacks. God wants to teach us how to fight in his power and fight in his way. And that's why you see in verse 9, it says, resist him, him being the devil. Webster's defines resist or resistance as to exert oneself as to counteract your defeat. I love that definition. To exert oneself so you can counteract your own defeat. It's a good definition and it speaks to the choices we make about dealing with stress and anxiety. We need to exert the truth that we find in God's word to help us deal with the enemy's attacks. And God gives us several tactics here in 1 Peter. And the first one is to be sober-minded. 
This isn't necessarily speaking to avoiding mind-altering substances, although that is part of it. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say with an open heart, because I may step on a, a few toes here, but I'm saying this in love for you and with humility, because I can be as guilty of this as anyone else. I want to ask you something. When stress and anxiety comes into your life, when the enemy comes in like a flood, what's the first thing you reach for? Is it a medication? Is it a drink? Is it a smoke? Is it food? Or any other substance or thing of this earth? Because if it is, you're not following God's plan and resisting the enemy. In fact, you're playing right into his hands. I'm right there with you because obviously, as most people can see, food can be my comfort. But it's a placebo that doesn't attack the root of the problem. It also affects our ability to confront the problem and to find the right solution. Being sober-minded is being able to view the problem that you're facing with a clear mind, with the eyes and mind of Christ. When we reach for anything else, and why this is so bad, is that if you cloud your mind with this artificial comfort that God didn't intend for you, you give the enemy an open door into your life. Because all he has to do is trigger that stress, trigger that anxiety, trigger whatever that thing is that, that makes you feel anxious and worrying. And then he's got you. Every single time you think you're doing great with God, he's going to send that thing back into your life and take your, try to take your eyes off God again. I'm going to share something from my own life that God showed me in this last year about one of my anxieties. I found out, and I've known this on and off throughout my life, I have a little bit of a sense of insecurity because I dropped out of high school. I didn't drop out of high school because I was dumb. I didn't drop out of high school because I couldn't understand the content. I just wanted to party. I wanted to be part of the party crowd, the lascivious lifestyle. It was the 80s. You know, we just wanted to all party and be rock stars and, and do all this, these kind of things. And that was my mindset at the time. And it came from a sense of rebellion in my own heart that I didn't want to live under anybody's authority but my own. So I, I dropped out of high school. Now, obviously, I've turned that around since then. And God was a huge, huge part of that. I served in the military, got my GED, then my high school diploma, went to college to be a paramedic and critical care paramedic, firefighter, community paramedic, as well as all the classes I had to take to be ordained. Now I'm in school for nursing. And over the last year, I had to take some very difficult science courses, dealt with a lot of memorization, dealt with a lot of putting pieces together and how this enzyme starts here and ends up in your toe and just all kinds of the 14 changes it makes on the way down and, and all these kind of things that I had to memorize. And when I had started the process, I gave myself a goal. I said, I wanted to graduate with high honors. I wanted to show myself you're not stupid, you can do it, and graduate with high honors. At my college, there are three honors levels. They're based on grade point average. 4.0 is on a four-point grading system. 4.0 is the highest you can get. And it's roughly equivalent to an A+. Plus in school. Now there's three different honor levels. There's one called cum laude. It's a Latin phrase which means with honors. 
And to get that, you need a GPA of 3.25, which is the equivalent of a letter grade of a B plus. Next is magna cum laude, which means with great honor. For that, you need a GPA of 3.5, which is a letter grade about of an A minus. The top one, and the one I wanted to graduate with, is summa cum laude, which means with highest praise and distinction. For that, you need a 3.75 to 4.0 grade point average, which is straight A's. So far, my GPA is 3.85, so I've achieved that so far. However, this self-inflicted goal that I gave myself left me in a state of constant anxiety. Constant anxiety for the year. I couldn't, I was on my phone every 10 minutes checking my grades, seeing if an instructor had, had graded a paper. And of course I over-spiritualized it. You know, we, we, we always spiritualize things, don't we? Especially as Christians. And it's amazing what you can talk yourself into when you want to make an excuse to do something or feel something you know you shouldn't. And I said, well, I want to honor God with my best. But in honesty, I was feeding my insecurity. And one of the consequences to that was isolation. I was always studying and getting overwhelmed, working you know, my regular job 48 hours a week, and then preparing for Sundays and Wednesdays, and on top of that, having this huge amount of credits I had to take. And because of stress, anxiety, and isolation, I reached for the quick comfort, which was food, and gained about 30 pounds. And I've only recently come to terms with God speaking about this issue in my own life, and I've had to humble myself and admit you're right, God, as always. <laughs> and I share this to show you that I'm not up here condemning anyone who deals with anxiety and stress. I, I know what it feels like. I'm not saying you're weak. I'm not saying you're worthless. I'm not saying you just need to cowboy up and deal with life. We all can fall into these harmful patterns. And that's why it's so important to recognize them early so we can give them to God. So hopefully next semester I can be a little more sober-minded and see the stress for what it is. And then I can do what 2 Peter tells all of us to do in regards to stress and anxiety. And that is to be watchful. Watch over our own lives. Today there's a popular buzzword in our society, and that word is triggered. You can't say certain things or you might trigger somebody to get upset. You can't, you can't believe certain things or people will be triggered by that. And we see this phenomenon in our culture when people say something that is not politically correct. You see a flood of outrage, ridicule, and even hatred toward people who don't believe or, or, or act a certain nebulous criterion that many people in our culture think that we should have now. And we call that being triggered. Let me give you an example of this. Right now, if you were to go, to go to a college campus in California, let's say UCLA, and you were to stand up with a megaphone and start saying, global warming is a farce. It is based on junk science. It has sloppy hypotheses. You are all stupid for believing in it. If you, now, I'm not giving an opinion. I'm using that as an example. But if you were to actually do this, 
many people would be very triggered. They would start shouting at you. They would start throwing things at you. Some of them might even threaten you with death for, for voicing this very unpopular opinion on a college campus. And that's being triggered. You can also have it on the other side. Many of us who are veterans, for example, if you were to stomp on an American flag, we might figure be very triggered in that moment to stomp on you. It can, it can happen on either side of the political divide. I once saw a funny poster that says, Stress is you fighting your mind's overwhelming desire to choke the life out of someone who desperately deserves it. But this is why Peter says, be watchful. Be aware of those things that trigger you. Because your enemy, the devil, knows them better than you do. And he will tailor his roars to push those buttons on you. I once heard a preacher say that when the devil comes knocking, ask Jesus to open that door. Amen. That's being sober and being watchful. That's how we should handle stress and anxiety on the front end. But what happens after we've we failed to do that? What happens when we give in to it? What happens when the ability to resist goes away and we, we dive headlong into worry and anxiety? Well, the good news is God doesn't abandon us. And he gives us several different ways of dealing with it. The first is that he reminds us of a promise. In verse 10, he said, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Now, how many here read the word suffered and turned off? I don't want to hear about suffering. But suffering has a spiritual purpose. Most people have heard the story of the father who caught his son smoking cigars. So he went out and bought a whole box, locked them in a closet, and said, you're not coming out of that closet until you have smoked every single one of those cigars. The, the idea is to make him so sick of cigars, make him so sick of cigar smoke, that he will never, ever touch them again. And sometimes our Heavenly Father has to do something similar with us. Many times we, we fail to resist the triggering of the enemy because of fear, or because of doubt, or because of unbelief, and worry takes over and, and produces that anxiety. And the reason that God allows this suffering is to show us, to really make it clear in our minds where the enemy is triggering us. And the reason that the enemy is successful in triggering us is this comes from us not disciplining our minds. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul says, Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. This is part of you working out your salvation. To have the Word of God so ingrained in your mind that when the trigger comes, when the lie comes from the enemy, when the roar is, is loudest in your ears, your mind produces truth and not fear. So sometimes you may have to spend some time walking through that valley of the shadow of death. So you learn to reach for God first. Because suffering brings clarity when nothing else will work. For example, nothing makes you appreciate a good meal like hunger. 
How many here woke up this morning and thank God for electricity? You don't even notice it until it's not there. Most of us don't appreciate good health until we are sick. I remember last time I had a sore throat, you have that, it feels like you're swallowing glass. And you don't even realize how many days of, uh, or how many times a day you swallow until you have a sore throat. And I, I, and I was thinking about this, driving to work with this sore throat, and just thinking, man, I don't, I don't thank God just for good health some days, because I don't even realize what that means. And all of us don't appreciate God's presence, power, or provision until He withholds it. And that's the goal of what God allowing suffering in our lives is to produce, is to be thankful to Him for everything and in every situation. Instead of asking when you're suffering, why me? Ask God, what can I learn from this that will make me more like Jesus? That's Christianity at the college level. The second way to deal with worry and anxiety is to humble yourself. Verse 6 says, To humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Do you know that God wants your problems? Every single one of them. Sinful or not, God wants them. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to give him all of your drama. I don't know about you, but as a guy, I avoid drama as much as I possibly can. I can't stand drama at work. I can't stand drama in the family. I can't stand it. But God is such a loving God. He wants it all. And he loves you in spite of it. And he wants to walk through it with you and lead you away from it into his will for your life. One of the strangest things about humanity and about people I've seen is that we have this strange, masochistic need to hold on to our pain. We just feel we don't trust God enough to give it to him. We'd rather spend our time in a condition of worry and anxiety that will ultimately kill us spiritually and physically than simply give it to God who is practically begging us to give it to him. If you have problems with anxiety and worry, make a note of this next verse on the back of your bulletin. Go home, write it, put it on the fridge as a daily reminder. It's a verse from Isaiah that just, when I first read it, it just floored me because it spoke to me so much. It's Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15 that says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Isaiah was describing the spiritual condition of Israel during that time. He's, he's saying God wants to have it all. But you are refusing the very medication that would cure you of all of your sicknesses. Most of us would rather keep staring at our problems than give them to the one who died to carry them. So I'm going to close today with a demonstration of how we should see our problems, especially when they produce anxiety. This is a problem. 
we see a problem coming and we look at it. And the more we look at it, the closer it gets. And the more we look at it, the bigger and closer it gets. Until sooner or later, the problem is all we can see. Because it's all we've been staring at. We can't see up, can't see past, can't see anything else but this problem right here. The difference is, is this is how God sees our problem. But do you know what God wants us to do with our problem? And just worship. Let's all stand. Lord God, I have a very specific prayer for everybody here today. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to open up our hands that want to hold on to our problems and just release them to you. Take away the fear, the doubt, and unbelief which always produce anxiety and worrying in our lives. And let us lift our hands and our eyes to the heavens and worship you no matter what life is throwing at us. Because in the presence of the Lord, the devil's roar can't be heard. Lord God, I thank you for this church family. I ask, Lord, that all of us will continue to be a source of blessing with each other, that we'll be a source of comfort with each other, and that we will stand firm for the truth and stand firm in the presence of your love.